Joshua chapter 2. Joshua 2. Let's take a, a trip to take a look at the city of Jericho, if you will. Um, this is the present-day uh, dig, if you will, the uh, uh, archaeologists around that city. The city wasn't huge. We must not think of these ancient cities as we have cities today. Uh, the, the inside of this wall was about six acres. That's about it. About six acres. There weren't a million people. There were several thousand. There was an army. There were soldiers. There was a king. But this is about the size. The, uh, the walls were interesting. Um, there were two walls, actually. I'll show you how it kind of lines up. There's an outside wall on the outside of there, and then there's an inside wall. Between those two was a lot of dirt and plaster as it mounded up. The lower wall was seven to eight feet tall. I'll explain that in a moment. The upper wall was 17, 18, 20 foot tall. But put those two together with that mound, and that's quite a height. It is believed, it is not known, but it is believed there was a moat around the city that was 27 feet wide and 9 feet deep. So if you take a 9 foot moat and you've got eight, seven, eight foot of wall and then you got the mound and then you got 18 feet of wall up there, it's quite a structure. It really is. Take a look at how it kind of breaks down. There it is, lower wall. See the little guy up there to your left? That's probably what it looked like. Important for you to, to get that in your mind because when we get chapters beyond when the wall comes crashing down there's kind of a neat deal that goes along with that got a couple pictures for you that's that's part of the wall that the guy's looking at down there i'll just tell you right now it is believed that this wall was pushed out not in because if man did it we'd push it in but if god did it he'd push it out uh, it's the structure of the Hebrew that the wall actually collapsed downward. Now, if that happened, if that happened, which we believe it did, what, what, it said that after the walls came down, and I'm man, just way ahead of myself, but that they walked up into the city. Well, how can you walk up into a city unless that wall comes down to that wall, filling the moat, and then you got a nice little deal up into the city? Okay, so that's what they believe. So the guy right there is looking at the upper wall that fell down into the lower wall. Okay, let's go one more. These are from excavations. These were grain pots they found down in Jericho. And when they opened them up or saw them, they were filled with grain. Now, of course, the grain was spoiled and rotted and, and, and such. And it was probably, you know, fossilized. But there was grain and the grain was full. Now, why is that important to know? In chapter 3 of Joshua, it said it was at the time of harvest that all this happened. They had just taken the harvest into the city. They had a lot of food. They were chucked with food. There was a copious spring within the city that supplied water constantly, like an artesian well. They could have been in this city for years, unless the wall came crashing down. Why is that important? Jericho is a spiritual picture of pockets of sin within our lives as believers. 
And they can survive for years and years and years until the message of the cross enlightens the believer for the walls to crash down. Okay? One more interesting thing about the city. Um, In 1905, a German group came to dig around, and this is what they discovered. They discovered that on the north side of Jericho, there was a section of wall that had not fallen down. It was the only section that hadn't fallen. Everything was was flat. But when they dug, they found an area that the wall had not fallen down. What could that be other than Rahab's place? It was on the north side of Jericho, which as they dug up the city, found that it was in the low-rent district. This was the slums of Jericho that Rahab lived in. I love the fact that God sent the two spies to the low-rent housing, don't you? It was on the side that was the weakest of the wall. That's probably what the spies were down there looking for, weak entry points. This north end was the most, the easiest to break down, and then for the troops to circle. It's just, it was the spot, humanly speaking, that you would break down humanly to get into the city. I, th- I find it fascinating that the one place that man could have broken down this wall and got in, God says that's the part of the wall that's not coming down. Because I'm the one that's going to do it. I'm going to push it out. I don't want any help from you. I want no effort from, this, from the army of Joshua. I want no effort from you. I'll leave that section. I'll leave Rahab's house because I'm the one that's going to destroy these walls. And you cannot touch the sin within yourself. You can't conquer it. You can't meditate enough scripture to make it go away. You can't pray enough to conquer the sin that's in you and I. You can't be faithful enough. You can't do anything. It's the work of God and the cross of Jesus Christ that breaks these strongholds down. Now, one other thing before we actually go into the scripture is this. I read a, um, a site called the Jewish Encyclopedia. It's a very well-known site. And if you want to learn about Jewish history, read it from a Jew. They were very good at their history. And if we can believe this particular rabbi, Rahab was one of the most beautiful women of not only Jericho, but the whole area. She was beautiful. And this writer also wrote that there was not a prince or a ruler in Jericho that had not stopped by the inn, if you know what I mean. She had ready access to all the information. This is probably why when the king sent sent to try to find the two spies, that Rahab wasn't killed or taken into custody. She had an immoral connection with almost all of them. All right. Enough history, enough tour. Look with me, if you will, down to Joshua chapter 2. Last week we ended off in verse 8. Verse 8. By the way, it's chapter 2, verse 8, and I didn't put the number in because I don't know how far we'll get. So, you know, some of you are looking for that, like, when's he going to end? I don't know, whenever we're done. Look at verse 8. 
Now, you, you know the scene, right? You, you got the scene down, the two men came, and the king sent, you know, and to check them all out, and Rahab basically lied. And by the way, uh, that was a backhanded compliment last week, ladies, that you can lie better than men. That was a compliment, really was. It wasn't to slam you at all. You're just craftier and smarter than we are, and you can form a better deal. So, they, so she sends the, the men away. She sends the men away. And here's the two spies hidden under the flax on the roof. Verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. And she said to the men, I know. Let, let those two words sink in. I know that the, I don't, I don't think the Lord might give you the land. I don't have a feeling about these things. I don't have a woman's intuition about what's going to happen. Let those two words weld into your mind. I know. When you know something, no one can take it away. Do you know? Do you know that you're saved? Not that you might hope. Are you so convinced in your mind no doubt can ever shake that? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he died for you? Do you know that he died as you? Do you know that you died with him? Do you know that you were buried with him? Do you know that you rose again in newness of life? Do you know that he lives in your soul? When you know these things, you're so convinced. They, it sends you down the road singing a happy song with a heart full of joy. The world can't take it away. Not even the meanest person you know can take it away. You know these things. And when you know them, it's good stuff. When you know them, you don't have to argue with everybody. You just kind of quietly smile and sit back and think, I wish they knew what I know. You, you ever meet somebody that they know something you don't know and they won't tell you? Drives you nuts. You know something you're not telling me. It's a quiet peacefulness when you know. Notice she goes on. I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Notice, she says, not the fear of the Lord, the fear of you. If the people of Jericho feared the Lord, they'd open their gates and give the Israelites the city. But they didn't fear the Lord. They feared the Israelites. And Proverbs tells us the fear of man always brings a snare. They were destroyed because they were afraid of men. If they'd have feared God, they wouldn't fear men. And they'd have given them the city. They'd have marched out and find somewhere else to live. God was justified in the judgment that he was going to bring on these people. Notice their hearts melt. They melted before them. 
Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Stop there. When did that happen? That happened about almost 40 years ago. Now I want to make a point. I want you to listen very carefully. From the moment, because they didn't have Snapchat, they didn't have Instagrams and Facebook, but they had a way of finding stuff out. And when the Red Sea split, and a million Jews walked across, and the Egyptian ivory was drowned, it took a while, but everybody knew it. That was 40 years ago. They were still talking about it. That was 40 years ago, and that's the moment when they began to tremble because this army was coming that had destroyed mighty Egypt. The moment, listen, the moment you got saved, whenever that was, was the moment that all the demons in hell shook with fear. It was the moment when sin within you shook with fear. The thing that so easily conquers you is scared to death of Christ in you. And has been. But if you look at the inhabitants of the land like giants, if you look at that wall that you can't get over, you're not looking at the right thing. That depression, that dark discouragement, that sin of worry and fretting, are enemies that tremble at the life of Jesus Christ that lives in you. And you'll notice for 40 years, these people have been scared. But there's a more present occasion in verse 10. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, that just happened, who were beyond the Jordan, Shion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. That must have been an Old Testament term to mean just simply wipe out. You wiped out those kings. You took over them. We just heard about it. And as soon as we heard it, notice, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. This battle was already fought and won by God long before they ever showed up. Anyone who does any kind of sporting event knows that one of the key things is to get into your opponent's head. We're in the middle of Super Bowl week, and all week long there's interviews of guys trying to get in the opponent's head. You got it? When I coached uh, tennis, I would coach John and Whitney to, to get in the other person's head somehow. Make them think about what you're doing rather than what they're doing. This is the ultimate God getting in their head. And when he got in their head, it was just about ready to explode. They're scared. Their hearts are melting like, like butter on a hot griddle. It just, it just, they're just, they're putty. Do you understand how ironic it is that the soldiers in Israel were poised to go in, wondering how these people would be defeated, and everybody in the city is just shaking in their boots? It's amazing, isn't it? If they had known what's going on inside Jericho, do you understand the confidence? Let's go on in the story. Verse 12. 
Rahab continues, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, she's going to ask him a favor, a big one, and she's basing it on her kindness toward them. Now listen carefully. Her faith in God had affected her, her morality. Think about what she did for a living. Think about what she could have offered these two men in order not to be killed. I think you get the picture. And yet she never offered that. Because God had affected her morality and she would not be occupied in an immoral industry any longer. Her kindness. There's another thing faith in God had done for her, and you'll see it in the next phrase. Look down. It says, I have dealt kindly with me, with you. You also will that you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And make me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers sisters, and all who belong to them. You know what I find absent in here? Rahab. She never mentions herself. Karen and I were at Starbucks the other night picking up some hot chocolate, which is a good thing to do on a cold night. And I love Starbucks because you always see a couple on their first date in there. You can pick them out. You can just see, you know, they're, they're awkward looking and they're kind of looking at each other. And so I, we shimmied up behind a fella and a gal there on their first date, obviously. And... Uh, The opening statement was him. He said, you know, I gave up a life of luxury and ease because I wasn't happy. And he went on to tell how much money he'd sacrificed. And Karen and I began to count the times that he said I. And we were over the other table going. (laughs) I told her, I said, if I was that gal, that'd be the last date I'd go with that guy. You're gone. Selfishness is bred into us. When we have faith in God, we're the last one we think about. It's my mother, it's my father, it's my brother, it's his family, it's their families. She's not petitioning for Rahab. She's forgot about Rahab. Isn't that beautiful? That's a great place to be. Not to be concerned with self and how I'm getting ahead and and how he's going to rescue me. But how God might use me in the lives of others. Take a look beyond. Verse 13. That you will save alive my mother and my father, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. She knew it was coming. Verse 14 is a great statement. Oh, let me remind you, if you weren't here last week, legend tells us, Jewish writers tell us, that one of these two spies was named Salom. And that he married Rahab. And they were in the line of genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew. It's a great love story. Great love story. I think this is the moment they fell in love. You ladies tell me if if I'm wrong. Take a look at what he says. Verse 13, 14. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. That's beautiful, isn't it? 
show of hands. What woman in here wouldn't want to hear a man say that to her? Ah, come on, you can raise your hand. (laughs) My life for yours, even to death. I will give everything to protect you and love you. It's beautiful, isn't it? I think this moment Rahab just fell into a pile. Jesus just fell out. That's the man for me. She'd encountered a, a thousand men, but this was the man who pledged his heart, his passion, his love, and she melted, I think, at that point. Okay, let's go on. Um, if you do not tell this business of ours, then... When the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. I think we'll stop there, draw some conclusions, and talk about some points here. Great story. Beautiful story, isn't it? Number one, we walk as strangers in a world that we will inherit. When these two spies went into Jericho, they were strangers. The city had not been given to them. But do you know they were walking in the very city that they would soon inherit. Now, I don't know if you want to inherit this. In fact, I don't think you want to inherit this world. It's a mess, isn't it? But after he comes back and he cleans it up, it's going to be ours. Do you know that? It's going to be ours. It is our possession. We need to walk and live in this world with our eyes on him, knowing this is going to be ours. Recently, about a year ago, we bought some land out in Callahan. Many of you know that. Wasn't a lot of clearing, but there was a little bit. And I'm, I'm glad there was some clearing. There was a big oak in the middle that was rotten. We had to take it down. So as I went out there and began to clear it, I did so at night. I would show up at 9, 10 o'clock at night when the sun was down and there was cover of darkness. And I would begin to clear. And when a, when a car came by with its lights, I would run back into the state forest that borders our back and hide. Because I didn't want to get in trouble. After a few nights of that, Karen asked me, what are you doing out there? I said, I'm clearing the land. She said, why are you going at night? I said, so nobody would catch me. She sat me down, and this is what she said to me. Mike, we own that land. Did you know that? And I made her take, me out, take out the, the paperwork, and I saw my name on it. And I thought, why am I doing this at night and sneaking around? <laughs> now, it took me a while, because the next morning I came out, and I began to cut the tree down a little more, and cars would come by, and I began to run back in the woods, and I thought, well, no. That... And all of a sudden, I started waving to the people that came by. Ed came by. So I... That's my land. That's my possession. I can do on it what I want to do on it. I have a whole different attitude now. I'm even cutting into the state force. No, I better not say that. (laughs) Little bit. Little bit. Do you know what you possess in Jesus Christ? We are more than conquerors. We should walk with the confidence that Christ lives in us, and this is going to be our world someday. Now, the world flushes us like refuge, gone. But God says, this is our planet, our world. Walk with authority. Walk with authority over the sin that's in you, knowing and claiming that you are dead to it and 
He lives in you and power over it. Number two, our purpose is to reach out to those he has called. That's why we're here. Our purpose is to reach out to the Rahabs because we're all Rahab. Do you know that? Reach out. That's why we're here. To go into Jericho, to go into this world and see those who he has reached. Arthur Pink in his commentary on the book of Joshua has a good observation. He writes concerning the lack of preachers or ministry or really anything in Jericho. He writes this. There were no Sabbaths observed in Jericho. There were no scriptures available for reading. There were no prophets sounding forth messages from heaven. Nevertheless, Rahab was quickened to newness of life. Isn't that amazing? And brought into a saving knowledge of the true God. Through tent revivals, God is able to reach the repentant heart. Are they, is he not? God is able to reach the repentant heart. You know, the spies weren't sent in to lead Rahab to faith. She was already there. She knew it. Lastly, and we're done. Faith in God always brings about morality. It always does. Rahab didn't fulfill her, fulfill her occupation any longer. She had died to all that stuff. I end with a story out of a uh, TV series in the, oh, the 60s, 70s, uh, Night Gallery. I don't know if you're a fan of the old show Night Gallery. It was a spinoff of, um, oh, what was that? Uh, Twilight Zone. That's right, Rod Sterling. Twilight Zone. One of my favorite episodes out of Night Gallery was an old farmer. And he lived on an old farm, you know, with the house and the, the overalls and the white shirt. He was just a really old guy, real crust, kind of crusty looking guy. Stubborn. Stubborn. Wouldn't, wouldn't be told anything. Well, the old man died. He, he died. But he was so stubborn, he wouldn't go to his funeral. He refused to stay in his bed. And every morning, he would walk downstairs to eat his breakfast And the family would try to convince him, you're dead, you died. It became so frustrating that they called the preacher over. The preacher tried to, you know, you're embarrassing the family, the community. Why don't you, let's do a funeral. And he was stubborn. He said, no, 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 I won't do it. I mean, he walked down the stairs. And after a while, the decay with the odor was just overwhelming as he sat one morning at the table and eating his breakfast. And it ended, then he he sneezed. And when he sneezed, his nose fell off into his eggs. How many of y'all remember that show? Thank you, thank you. Fell off into his eggs. Remember that, Belinda? Yeah. And he said this. He said, well, there's no fool like an old fool. I'll go upstairs and get ready for the funeral. 
we are stubborn people, are we not? The old flesh is rotten and stinking and we hang on to it, we won't let it go. Some of you need to sneeze real hard and have your nose fall off in your eggs. To understand there's nothing good with this stuff. We have died to this flesh. We have died to sin. We no longer live in that old rotten decay of self-effort. And a new morality invades us that is because the Spirit of God lives in us and we don't need a law to tell us right from wrong. We know within our souls that prostitution is wrong. We know within our souls to put ourselves first is always wrong. 